All right, episode two, we have with Jade, and you're going to hear a lot of her story from alcoholism to where it took her with her eating disorder eventually and sobriety and all her different treatments. She's been through a lot, but she's also found a lot of answers. Um, you'll see um, yoga, meditation, just 12 steps even. We talk about a lot of different things in this hour. Um, I'm glad you guys are liking it so far. You know, I'm doing it for everybody that's been through the struggle, knows what it's like, so they don't have to feel so alone. That's like one of the hardest parts about, you know, being in addiction is you feel alone. So at least, you know, when we're doing these podcasts, we're telling our stories, we're being honest about our recoveries, and we all have different recoveries, but the main thing is that we're not using anymore. You'll see. Yeah, it's a very good interview. Um, we talk about a lot. We both um, have the same kind of ideals about how recovery looks and how honest we should be in recovery with ourselves and with other people. So it's such an important thing. Um, I really enjoy talking to her, and I hope you enjoy too. Um, keep in mind, it is progress, not perfection, for a reason. Um, the cameras decided to stop working. We have three cameras, and they all stopped working for the last two minutes. I don't know why. The batteries weren't even dead, and they were still rolling when I cut them off. So I'm not sure. I'm doing this all myself right now. I don't have a producer on the other side. I do all the editing, do all the interviewing, the recording. So bear with me. We'll figure this out as we go. I just don't want to not put out episodes just because they're not perfect. I feel like it's more important to get the episode out and we'll figure out the rest as we go along. So I hope you enjoy. Uh, remember to like and subscribe if you enjoy it. This way, you know, it helps other people to find it. That's all it really is. Whenever we say like and subscribe, it's because that's how the algorithms work and it helps us out. So enjoy. Welcome. Jade, right? Yes. Nice. Well, I didn't meet, I, I met you the other day. So you are, you've been sober how long now? 10 years. My sobriety date is December 14th, 2010. Oh, that's a, oh yeah, no, that's 10 years. Almost 11, okay. You'll, you'll be 11. Yeah. <laughs> you'll be turning 11 in December. Yeah. Now, what was your, was it alcohol? Was it drugs? Alcohol and drugs, both. Where, where did you start with? Alcohol. How old? 16-ish, probably. 15. I don't know. No, I think in middle school. Between but, 13 and 16. Did it get out of hand at a certain point? The, it, like, did it gradually... It wasn't gradual. The first time I ever drank, I got drunk and got alcohol poisoning. And the very first thought that I had was the more the merrier. And so, if that doesn't scream... You know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so the first time you, what were you drinking that you got alcohol poisoning the first time? Southern Comfort Street. That'll do it. And you were like a young teenager. I was. I was. Yes, I was very young. And I, throughout my whole drinking career, I could not even. I couldn't even smell it. I never drank it once ever again. <laughs> Yeah, that was, I haven't drank Bacardi O since I was 16 when it yeah. took me to the hospital. Yeah. I just, it's that, I love the bat on the thing. I always wanted that as a tattoo, like yeah. the Bacardi bat. Yeah. But I could never drink Bacardi O again Wait, since. Wait, Bacardi O, I know Bacardi 151. I used to drink, you could set that stuff on fire, but. Yeah, the 151's a lot stronger than the Bacardi O. Bacardi O is just a, like, a standard is Bacardi. It is it wrong? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, oh, just oh, a standard oh. Bacardi just tastes like orange. Bacardi O, and oh, it had like an okay. orange, you know, and what happened was, it was the night before Easter, when I was 16, yeah. and we used to, we drank, I grew up in Jersey, we drank in the woods, you know, we ran to house parties, we drank in the woods, and I showed up a little bit late, so what do you do when you get late? You play catch up. Yes. So, this is back, you know, 15 years ago, or no, wow, almost 20, but we all had like the Kyra Seraphones, and all we could do was play Snake, or like, you know, watch the timer. So they would time me and how much I could chug out of that Bacardi bottle. And I was, I mean, 15, 20, just straight, like a bottle of beer. Within 10 minutes, I was passed out against a tree. And we were in the woods. So they had, they used a bike ramp to roll me onto it from bikers back there. And then carried me out of the woods because somebody had already called the ambulance. And then the cops were showing up. So and then they dropped me because they got scared of the cops and they all ran. So, I'll give my dad credit for the best punishment I could ever think of. This was sophomore year, the end of it. 
and I wasn't grounded. I didn't lose my curfew. It was that I wasn't allowed to sleep out for the rest of high school. Mm. That was his, I could not sleep over a friend, because that was the guys that night, was I was sleeping over a friend's house. Yeah. So I was not allowed to sleep out for the rest of high school. And, that, yeah. and he stuck to it. I mean, the next winter, um, we were in a bad snowstorm. I was at a friend's house, and I called for, I was like, I can't walk home. It's, I'm in shorts and a t-shirt now. You can't drive. State of emergency. Yeah. He's like, you know the rule. You're walking. And <laughs> I swear I haven't grown hair on my legs since because of how cold it was walking home that night. But, you know, I, I learned my lessons, though, that's for sure. I, I never drank Bacardi like that or any hard liquor like that again in my life. Yeah. I went out of control with pills a lot, but that was down the line. So you, you got it early on. And then was it college that you took off? Um, no, when I was a teenager, I took off, right, Dad? I have dual diagnosis, so I have a lot of mental health and including eating disorder, cutting all that. So I started that around 13, but it just, I just kept doing it. I automatically took off as soon as that happened, and, um... Was that the aha moment they talk about in a, like, your, that was like your, what do they call that in AA, when it's like your first, and it's like your... Ah, uh, like there's like they had like a term for it, your like awakening or your like something oh, when you first discovered like rock it. Oh, oh, oh no. no! Okay. There was um, like a term that they used for when you discovered. First drink I had. I okay. Had more than merrier. I was so happy. I was so elated. Well, the first half, the second half, I was you know laying on the ground puking, but like you like <laughs> not but able to move. <laughs> so like your first time you drank, you're like, oh, there's the solution to all my mental health problems. Yes. Yeah. And I was undiagnosed, so I was self-medicating, and uh, I didn't grow up in a very conducive environment. So you know, my mom was uh, very mentally ill. She wasn't well, and then. And, you know, my mother and my father had a codependent relationship. My father didn't live there. We were stuck with my mentally ill mother. My dad has narcissistic tendencies. You smush that together, and then it just You get creates. jade. Yes, yes. <laughs> and then it, this is what it creates. Yeah, so. Um, also, there, there's genes that run in my family. There's alcoholism on both sides. So, um, you know, it skipped my brother and my sister, and I was blessed with it. So, yeah, there's that. And then... Um, you know, it, it just got so hard between my mother and I. My mother actually started, like, disappearing from the house. So my dad didn't live there, and my mother started disappearing from the house, you know, for, like, weeks at a time. And it started when I was in middle school, and then one time she just left, and she didn't come back. So it was just my sister and I living in this house, and my mom was a hoarder. So there was just stuff everywhere. And, and how old were you at the time? 16. Okay. And then, um, so to me, I was like, hell yeah. And I just drank and I partied and drank some more. Come on over. I have a free house. Empty house. Yeah, first. You know, I mean, later, I obviously understand that that wasn't the best tactic and it really wasn't good for me. But, um, you know, at the time, it was quite amazing. But now in hindsight, I realize it was better, I think, that my mom did move out because it was so conflicting and unhealthy. It just, I think it wasn't good for both of us. You know, sometimes when you have two people in the same place that deal with like the same kind of like yeah. mental health, you clash a lot. <clears throat> yeah. You would think you would get along swimmingly because you could understand, but there's really not understanding when like you're in it. Yeah, when you're in the when you're in the thick of it, yes, yeah. there's like no, and you know, I'm a teenager. I'm just responding. So I had a lot. Of, I had a big temper. I had um, you know hit things cut things or cut, cut myself or myself a very angry person and mostly I just drank I, I discovered pills like uh, Xanax and things like that I thank goodness I really I really didn't like the feeling of like oxycotton or method all the the opioids I really didn't like the feeling of that thank goodness Is that I, yeah I can tell you thank God yeah, yeah, and then like Mazarini, I never tried that. Thank goodness. Um, I did try cocaine. I could not handle cocaine. <laughs> I was like, no. You're already up. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh my god. I was just, it was, it was absurd. But I only did it a couple times, but um, I, I tripped a lot. I don't regret tripping because it opened up my mind a lot. But I would agree with that. Yeah, but, um, wholeheartedly. Was it acid or shrooms or both? What was oh, yeah, what, what was your preference? But like, oh, I like mushrooms. Acid is so abrupt. Yeah, and I like mushrooms. Yeah. And, uh, 
you know, I did uh, Molly, like, MDMA, like, ecstasy and all that. And I was like, I like this too much. So I had to, like, you know, I have a chemical imbalance in my head, and that just puts so much serotonin in you. And I'm yeah. like, oh, I love this. It's like loving a pill. But I was like, I got to stay away from that because... Well, especially with an imbalance, the, the yeah. MDMA, it, it's almost like a bad, you can get stuck. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, for you know, a long time. It burns holes in your brain. Yeah, like, it does. Literally. It, yeah. Like, it, it, it yeah, it's. Holes in your brain. So, how old are you now, like, when you're just, like, trying everything? Uh, over 21. Okay. That's when I started doing everything. It didn't really, I forget the first time that I took it or anything like that. The first time, I think the first time I took acid, I was fine, and then as somebody, you know, it was back in the day when you don't know what's in weed, and, yeah. you, and you can't really pick anything, no. and um, so a friend, like, we smoked weed, but it was laced with PCP, and he didn't tell me, so I had a horrible trip, it was really bad, so I, I couldn't even, like, smoke any weed or anything like that, because it would just trigger things. Wet, but we called that wet in Jersey, like wet. when somebody would... Put PCP mixed and um, presented as weed. Yeah. We, we would call that was the term was wet, yeah. and cause it was like laced. And I I've been dosed with that twice. Once at a Halloween party in 2008, right after the Phillies parade, yeah. and I was tripping balls. I didn't know what happened. I was throwing up everywhere because I was drinking so much that day. Yeah. And then the other time I was um, tricked into it, you know, late whatever. We were smoking out of a Gator. I should have known out of a Gatorade bottle and at a concert. At Blink yeah. 182, and it, <laughs> and it was pouring oh, yeah. rain at this concert. Yeah. I didn't bring anything inside with me but my cigarettes and the, and the concert ticket. Yeah. And I have to say, it was one of the best experiences of my life. <laughs> but but I know how bad it is from the other experience that yeah. I was just like, I'm going to give this guy a pass because it's raining. I'm just going to enjoy it. The first time I didn't know what was happening. Yeah. And the second time I did, so I recognized that. And from my experience with like acid and shrooms, I was like. I just need to embrace this right now because if I don't embrace this, yes. this is going to be horrible. Yeah. So you kind of have to like if when you're dosed like that, if you don't embrace it and you fight it, it's that yeah. fighting that causes that spinning out. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely something. So um, after a while, then I did the shrooms and I really liked them a lot better, and then I was fine again. But it yeah. was just, um, but all the other stuff that that came with it, you know, it just. That stuff I didn't mind and I appreciated it. Just the other stuff. Like, when I was drinking, I punched my best friend in the face one time. And I don't even remember. I usually brown out. I call them brown outs. Like, I'm so drunk that I'm lying on the floor or sometimes just laying there, like, puking. And people would dump me in a bathtub. And then, um, you know, and I was still, like, conscious and cognizant. But this time, I just blacked out. And I wore a lot of rings. And, you know, I woke up in his bed and he's like you gave me a black eye i'm like what are you talking about i did not and he had a black eye I'm like <laughs> oh my god you know and i was acting i guess so i said some very harmful mean things to the point is they didn't tell me what it was because it was so bad and you know these were heavy heavy drinkers and they didn't they didn't want to drink with me you know and that was the first time. Maybe I should slow down kind of situation. I mean, mm -hmm. there's, there's points where one time I was, I got so messed up and I went to go outside of my friend's apartment and I laid on Bloomsburg and Main Street. I, I couldn't move. I was laying there on the ground puking again. And I remember somebody like walking over me and being like, well, that's a weird place to sleep. You know, and then so I crawled up the stairs and then like, you know, luckily they left her apartment door open and I, you know, laid there. But it's just crazy, this like craziness like that, just not acting. You know, it got to a certain point where after doing all this stuff, there was this turning point and my rock bottom, quote unquote, and I haven't drank since. And it was just an experience I was going to do something that's normally not in my nature and I got really and in order to do it I got really really drunk I took some Xanax I smoked a bunch of weed and I was like I'm gonna do this luckily I couldn't do it but the night luckily there was some kind of conscious thing going on and I woke up I'm like I don't like who I am I'm a monster like I just I I was slovenly and I'm like I don't ever want to do this anymore I apologize to the person, and I didn't drink since then. Did you that when you got into meeting? Did, 
what was it that got you into meetings then was it that um, yeah yeah pretty much and my you know my grandmother um said something about it so then i was like yeah okay at first it didn't really stick and then i went out after a year and then it just went i just after drinking it just went I, I like slowly get back into it, so it just it, it sneaks up on me. But then I was like right back where I was, and I was like, you know, I, I can't do this anymore. And with the self medication, like I have like severe like mood disorders, like body dysmorphia and bulimia, atypical anorexia, borderline personality disorder, ADHD. Everybody's diagnosed with ADHD though. Um, there's another one. There's another one, but I can't remember. Anyway, I have a list, and they're very complex disorders, and I just, I wasn't medicated properly. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, up until, even still today, like, they don't know which medications each person needs when it comes to mental health. It's really a trial and error for everybody. You 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 could be sitting next to two different people that have the exact, exact same diagnosis, yeah. but you're all on different medicines. Yeah. And it depends on what part of your diagnosis you're in mm -hmm. and what part of the trials you're in of trying this. All right, let's wean down this. Let's try you on this now. That didn't work. We're going to wean you off. We're going to, yeah. you know, a lot of it can be, and that's even more exhausting for somebody with any kind of disorders because you're already battling stuff. Now you're battling the medications. Yeah, yeah. I actually, uh, I, I work part-time just because it's, it's, um, just because of my mental health, it's very challenging. And I did try two full-time jobs. One, I had a mental breakdown <laughs> so for like a year. I was not okay. And then the second one, though, I ended up in the psych ward, like my first inpatient. They found out I had hypothyroidism, which can cause depression and everything like that. So they put me on that. Um, that was helpful. But then they put me on Celexa, and I was so sleepy. I'd sleep for 14 hours a day, sometimes 12 hours a day. And... It helped, but eventually got to a point, I'm like, this is making me groggy, like, after a couple of years. And somebody told me about Lamictal, which is a mood stabilizer. So I went on that and went off the antidepressant, and I was so much better. Like, I feel so much better. It, it doesn't give me a lot of side effects. So um, that was that was very nice. And, you know, there actually is this thing. It's a called gene site test, but they test your DNA to let you know you, uh, what kind of medications would be better for you and which ones wouldn't be which mm. ones would give the most reactions which won't it's kind of interesting they just swab your cheek but all the antidepressants i tried and i was only on them a couple weeks and the doctor's like well you should stay on them. i'm like i'm telling you something's not right so lo and behold all the antidepressants are in the i recommend not taking these categories so like all of them all the ones that i tried so it's kind of interesting how that worked out but so ssris don't necessarily work for me so i'm now i'm on a mood stabilizer and that's good yeah it's like i said it's well like our thing is progress not perfection you know yeah. you're not not going to get it you yeah. know in the first time you know yeah. and especially with mental health and you know we're now making it okay to talk about in the last couple of years yes. but before that even even five years ago you couldn't openly be like oh i'm depressed today yeah. people look at you like you got three heads i mean like well then don't talk to me about it you know what i mean like it's only lately in the last couple of years it's actually acceptable to be like openly like asking for help and talking about it without people looking at you. even people still look at you weird i mean yeah. i you know i get looks when i say what i do yeah. like what do you spend all day you know, doing mental health stuff yeah i do <laughs> like i love it i love talking to people i love finding out what helps people because you know obviously now that you dropped alcohol like how did you get through stuff then because like that was your solution of medicating before and you're trying all these different medications but obviously you're still staying sober yeah i went i went on the antidepressant i think right before i stopped drinking i still think i drank a little bit but honestly yoga really helped me a lot and so did the antidepressant actually yoga changed my life I, the first class i ever took in college of yoga i had a spiritual experience and it was my path i immediately like a year later i went into teacher's training and got my first certification a 200 hour hatha yoga instruction certification and just it changed my life like learning how to deep breathe helped me with my anger it gave me insight into myself and i use it as a major tool to this day with different factors like the chakra system and what have you, but it's a slowly but surely process. And I think 
it was broken down into layers. So first I got sober, and then like a year later, I'm like, okay, you know, my cutting and self-harm was an issue, and I had a boyfriend. It didn't really hit home how much it bothered people until, you know, I was living with a boyfriend, and he reacted. He wasn't okay. He didn't know what it was. To me, I'm not committing suicide. I know what I'm doing. I'm like, no, man, I'm just... You know, I just want this pain to go away. Like, if you need cutting, you know, that's a, there's a whole thing about it, but... No, I get it. I, when, if yeah. I'm, if, some, it, well, I, I don't do it to that point. I do it with another thing where if I, like, I stub my toe, I will take my hand and smack it against the wall to, to transfer the pain. That's interesting. Yeah, I, yeah. I, it, that's, and my wife is always like, what are you, can you not? Because you're going to hurt, you're going to break your hand one of these times. <laughs> or if I hurt my hand, I'll, like, I will hurt something else on my body that I know won't permanently hurt me. But it will, it will like, transfer the pain away, yeah. and it won't hurt me as much where it's uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's, it's that kind of, like, so she goes, you know you can just, like, take Tylenol, right? <laughs> you can just rest or put some ice on it. You don't have to hurt another part of your body. I'm like, yeah, but this is instant. <laughs> yeah. So I understand that part of it. I don't, I, I haven't gotten, I, I, you know, I haven't, I probably won't because I'm, I'm talk about it so much, but I do, you know, understand the whole, like, I need to take this pain away right now, and this is the only solution I have for it. Yeah, and it's, it's a lot of guilt. I had a lot of guilt and shame and not liking myself, and that was a piece of it, but my boyfriend saw that I did it, and he wasn't okay. He couldn't sleep. He didn't know what was happening, and right then and there, I, I didn't realize how much it affected people until, like, he just was not okay, and then so I... I was in remission from that for many years. Every once in a while, like, I, I mess up. But then, what was the other thing? Hold on a second. Oh, and then after that, after, you know, the sobriety and going to AA meetings after three years, I started dealing with my eating disorder. I went to treatment for my eating disorder, which I was in remission for seven years. I just got out of remission. Uh, my mom passed away. It was, it was a a key component to me relapsing among, among other things but now I try to be back on the straight and narrow but and then the relationship with my boyfriend it just wasn't working out so I moved and then I went to Pottsville and I was sitting in a parking lot and I realized I'm like I don't have I don't have alcoholism to I don't have alcoholism anymore to numb things. That was a layer. I don't have cutting anymore. I don't have my eating disorder anymore. I don't have a codependent relationship anymore. So now it's just me. And I had no idea who I was. I just sat there not knowing who I was. And I heard something from, I went to an ashram and I heard somebody say the only consistent thing is that we're a silent observer and a silent witness and I rested in that that my one identity that I had that I was a silent witness and slowly but surely I started getting my own life and you know working up there as a yoga instructor getting hobbies and eventually I really started to know who I was but there was so many layers that I had to get through that I'm still getting through to recovery it's so multifaceted it, yeah, recovery is never over. I mean, just because yeah. we aren't doing drugs or drinking doesn't mean that we're perfect. That was just our solution to our problem. That wasn't the problem. Yes. We think that was the problem yeah. early on, and then we find out real fast. Like, no, that was actually what we thought was our solution yeah. to everything. It's almost like, and it was simple things, too. Like, ah, oh, the Phillies won. I'm going to drink and celebrate. Oh, they lost. I'm going to, you know, drink my sorrows away. You, you always found a reason. So it wasn't the actual problem. That was just your solution to all your... So yeah. now that you know, we're sober, we still have problems because we're human. Yeah. And that's like, how do we... Uh, how do... I don't... My maturity stopped at 14, you know, like, mentally. Like, how do yeah. I get through this? Yeah, and uh, developing emotional intelligence is so important. In America, it's emotions and expressing emotions are so stunted and even when people do express them people don't know what to do with them and they're really very invalidating i don't want to speak for guys um there so you can chime in whenever you want that it's normally like you have to stifle it down and so the only feeling you're like i'm angry i don't know you know i used to i i'm a lot more comfortable just openly crying now you know what i mean like and and it it really made me upset like because i'm all for 
everybody, you know, being able to show whatever emotion yeah. and accept that, you know, because being accepting is what's really important, just yeah. accepting yourself and accepting others. And, like, the Will Smith thing that came out, like, last year, two years ago, when, like, his wife sat down and told him, like, hey, I cheated on you, and he was crying, and they made memes about it, and just blowing up the internet with memes making fun of Will Smith for crying. It's like, you you can't have it both ways. You can't tell us to be emotional and then tear somebody down while they're going through a very yeah. emotional thing. Yeah. You know, that was very hard, I'm sure, for him to go through, especially publicly, and then on top of that, to have all of his emotions invalidated by everyone late night, everyone making fun of him with memes. Yeah. It's like, how, how can any of us feel like we can come out with how we're feeling if we're going to have to feel invalidated by it? Yeah. And so, yeah, you're right. It, for a long time, you push it down, you push it down, and then yeah. like, other things come up instead. It's like that thing where you push down over here, then everything comes up over here. You know, that's like how I felt when you push down emotions and the anger comes out this way. Yeah. Or the self-harm. And for me, self-harm was getting high. Like, yeah. I was trying to harm myself towards the end of getting high. Like, you, you're not trying to get high. You're trying to, like, hurt yourself when you mix certain yeah. things together and you know what I mean yeah. so like it's hard life is hard but yeah. the cool thing is now at least both of us know that we can get through hard things like yeah. without numbing um you know my I'm very open about this but my favorite thing to do at the end of the night is I unwind with my cannabis yeah. that, that's my medicine I have always had sleep trial sleep problems where I can never fall asleep. I always said I was an early, I was a late, I was a <laughs> night owl and an early bird. And I, I would always say that. And then I finally met a therapist when I got sober. She was like, honey, you're not either of those. You just have an insomniac that doesn't sleep. You're just up late <laughs> and up early. Yeah. <laughs> you just need help with sleep. You're not a late, you're not a night owl, you're not an early bird. You just have sleep problems and you yeah. need to get sleep. And this will help you. I was like, okay, I'll try it. And sure enough, it did. Because you know how they give you all those things in rehabs, the Seroquils and, uh, you know, all the different medicines to try to help you sleep. But then all they do is, like, they'll knock you out. But then you wake up and you feel like you're hungover. Yeah. It's like, what's the point of coming to rehab to feel hungover? So I wasn't taking, you know, the Trazodone and Seroquil, whatever they wanted to give out. I would only take the Gabapentin because my nerves were so bad from my shakes yeah. Um, from, you know, just coming back from Witcherall. But I was even refusing Suboxone in rehab because it was my first time in rehab so far, only time. And I knew so many people that went back and went back and went back four, five, six times in rehab. And I always would, I, you know, asked them why. And I'm like, well, you know, it's a nice break. You know, you get a nice break when you go. I'm like, okay. So when I went, I refused it because I was like, I don't want it to be comfortable. Because this is too comfortable for me, I'm going to be okay with coming back. Yeah. You know, so I refused the Suboxone and I withdrew with nothing, just under supervision of doctors to make sure I wouldn't die. Because, you know, Xanax, alcohol, Percocets all mixed it. Yeah. yeah, coming off of. <laughs> I'm surprised I'm alive. <laughs> yeah, I, I started drinking at 11 and I got yeah. sober at 31. Yeah. So, I mean, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't in good shape. I, you know, I was the same weight. But I looked horrible because my face was all blotchy with rashes all the time from doing pills. Some of the pills I was allergic to, and they would always make me break out. Um, and, like, hives on my face it was yeah. so noticeable. My eyes would turn into raccoon eyes, just get sunken in. And it, it, I look at old pictures, and I'm just like, oh, my God, I can't. Well, there's, like, four of them, I think, because I was not in any pictures for a decade because I didn't want to go to anything. Because if I was going to something, I was possibly missing out on meeting with somebody. You know, missed out on so much, but I needed that to get where I'm at right now. If I didn't have all that, things go wrong, I wouldn't have had the foresight or even know that this was something that was needed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because how else, unless you're in it or you have somebody close to you. I mean, I did too. I mean, I had a, you said your mom passed away recently? Yeah, she just died in May last year. And she had a lot of the mental things. Yeah, she was um, she was a hoarder majorly, and she had to have undiagnosed something or other. She just she just wasn't well and didn't really take care of it, unfortunately. How old was she? If you don't mind me asking. She's sixty, lower sixties. I feel like 
I've noticed that the hoarding thing, it almost comes from the generation that went through the Great Depression and like her parents would have. And because they're so afraid of losing stuff because they've already lost everything. And because we, I I used to do plumbing and you go to a lot of houses where there's hoarders everywhere. And I feel like everybody that I would see that was a hoarder was usually older and it would have pictures of their parents everywhere. and, And that was always like in my head, that was what I always told myself was their parents are probably hoarders from the depression. And it was like something that kind of snowballed into them. Yeah. But that just me just assuming things. You know, everybody's different, obviously. Yeah, it's definitely you. Yeah, you you were talking about the the Seroquel thing. It's pretty crazy. It reminded me of a story when I was in inpatient, and there was a person in there, and he was on so many medications, and he had paranoid schizophrenia with psychotic tendencies. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Something like that. It was, it was a Goose River one. Yeah. His, his neck was just like thick with anger. That's the best. Anyway, but it took him a half an hour to wake him up on the couch. And then he shuffled to the nurse's station, falling asleep while he was shuffling so he could take his Ambien. Because that's what was needed. See, that's, that's what you see a lot of an inpatient is like, I would see people high on, um, what's it, buf but uh bufran or well butrin or whatever like they would get high off that Bipropion, but, oh, oh. I took well butrin. oh my god i was and cranky. and like people would look like they were on xanax outside they would look yeah. like zombies sitting around like the table where he would smoke and it would look like zombies i'm but like Bu- well butrin or well butrin is it yeah ssr sdri okay that would make sense then. They were giving that to people getting off heroin. That, and they also give it like Shantix. It's pretty similar to Shantix. I took Shantix. Yeah. yeah. I took Shantix in rehab. Yeah. Um, it worked too. I mean, I still smoke now, but it did work. Um, by the end of the 28 days, I did not want a cigarette. I did not crave a cigarette. I smoked the entire time in rehab, but I was smoking less and less because of the Shantix. Hmm. Um, I did it in rehab on purpose, knowing that I would have supervision and therapists basically on call in case, like, something went haywire because I'm new in sobriety and now I'm trying this weird medication that gives you very vivid, messed up dreams, you know what I mean? So I was kind of on a fence. I was like, now's the time to do it. I was on a diet. I was cutting out everything. And then I got out of rehab and I was in my sober living. I met my sponsor and we started working on the steps. And he was like, you seem, like, really on edge. I was like, you know, I'm just quitting smoking. You know, I got my diet. You know, I just, obviously, I quit alcohol and pills. He was like, dude, pick I'm one. I'm hungry. He's like, like, he's like, pick one. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, I need you to pick one, and it can't be alcohol or drugs. But you're too new in sobriety to be trying all four of these things at one time. Yeah. You will, you'll drive yourself off the wall and then back to the drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, I pick cigarettes because that will yeah. at least suppress my appetite. Yeah. So... That, I went back to smoking after that. I switched on purpose from menthol to regular cigarettes when I started smoking again yeah. that next day because everybody at the AA meetings, they would bump smokes. And as soon as they found out you didn't have menthol, they moved on to the next person. <laughs> They're like, hey, you have a cigarette? I'm like, yeah. And I started pulling out like Marble 27. I was like, no, never mind. I'm good. <laughs> I'll wait. <laughs> so I was like, oh, this is something interesting. I'm not going back to menthol. <laughs> It was kind of like I bought them like oh it was my it was my best friend's um, anniversary of his uh, death it was the first time I was experiencing grieving in sobriety like I lost a lot of people in yeah. in my twenties from childhood even a fiance you know um, from suicide it's almost been six years yeah. um, next next week and this um, Yeah, like we grew we grew up together. Well, she was bipolar, schizophrenic. Yeah. So and she was an alcoholic, and she would drink till the voices went away, and it you know never went away. Um, but but I I had to grieve her death too in sobriety for the first yeah. time, like three weeks later. I that's why I just started getting tattoos. I didn't have any. I had one when I was eighteen, like my last name, yeah. and then I didn't get any because when you're in your twenties and you're in addiction, your money's going to one thing, and that's yeah. it. And then when I got sober, I met some cool people in AA out there that did tattoos, you know, just amateur. And I was like, all right, hook me up. And we would just hang out in her front yard, and I would get meaningful stuff. And it was, like, kind of my way of, it's not hurtful or self-harm, 
but it's a way to take it was a way to take away my pain it's like my thing with smacking my hand against the yeah, wall. Yes. It's like, all right, shut my brain off for 20 minutes and sketch this into my arm, please. Yeah. So I just started doing that kind of stuff. And whenever I came up on a date or something that was on my mind, all right, Jules, put it on me. <laughs> like, throw it on my arm somewhere. So when I came back with like 16 tattoos like yeah. four months later. But, you know, we all find different ways to, you know, figure things out and different, like, because you're in new and sobriety, everyone tells you all these lessons and tells you all these things that you need to do and need to work on. But, like, I was such a fog for, like, the first, like, month. I wasn't really, I picked up two things in the first month. Progress, not perfection. That was, like, a mantra that I had. Yeah. And it was my first tattoo out of rehab. The next day I was on a Venice boardwalk and I stopped in and I got it. Um, and then the other mantra was happiness as a choice, Yeah. you know, and because I was always, you know, I think it was my second or third day there. And my one buddy, he was like, yeah, you know, I woke up and I chose to be happy today. I was like, what do you, can you explain that? What do you mean? You chose, he was like, it's not a feeling. Happiness isn't a feeling. It's a choice that you consciously make when you wake up or whenever you're doing something. It's about your perspective of it. You can wake up and look at the rain and be like, oh, this day is going to be awful. Because it's raining, you're going to find all the excuses for why the rain's going to ruin your day. Or you can look at the rain and find all the reasons why it's not going to ruin your day. And put that perspective in your head. And that's the kind of attitude you roll out of bed with. And that really, obviously, that stuck with me. It still sticks with me today. It's one of those things. But those were the two things. Besides that, I couldn't tell you that much. Because you're such a, you know, you don't, you're there. But it's like, you're still, like, thinking about old stuff and old tendencies and habits and what am I going to do with myself now that I don't have those things? Like, you know, my day was driven around how am I going to get money? Then how am I going to see my guy? Then how am I going to get it? And, you know, that was my day. Even though I worked full time, my mind was elsewhere to that. So what happens when you don't have that on your mind? It's like, what do I fill this up with now? I have all this, you know, and just got into the work. Yeah. That's like, for me, AA, AA gave me a very solid foundation. It was extremely helpful going through the steps, admitting what I did, going to people and apologizing to them for major things that I did. It was this relief. And to be able to, a lot, it's a hard, a lot of people won't admit that they're wrong sometimes. They won't apologize. And it's just like, it made it easy like I'm sorry that was very selfish of me you know I should have thought of you and I apologize a lot of people can't do that and like when sometimes I can tell when people actually work the AA program because they admit their stuff they're like yeah you know that was my bad and sometimes I don't know what to do with that I was like wow thanks <laughs> you know and um eventually I started well, I actually just recently started other programs, but before I start that, there's like another major turning point in my sobriety. I still would, you know, pick men that weren't well. They weren't good for me. They're emotionally unavailable because I'm scared of intimacy, and I'm also scared of commitment. So if somebody was the real deal and ready for commitment, I was like, eek, and I ran away. So when somebody's emotionally unavailable, then it's a way for me to still be closed, you know? So... It really took it home. Like, I always take time between relationships to reflect, like, at least a year. But this time, it's been four and a half years, and this is why. When I was in Pottsville, I thought I was changing my pattern, but it was the worst. I dated somebody, and he was a legitimate sociopath. Not just saying that, like, everybody, oh, he's a psycho. No, like, uh, let me tell you. <laughs> okay, yeah. so, um, you know, and I, I saw what I wanted to see. He would constantly you know, lie to me. I thought he wasn't using, but he was using just to turn into this like codependent messed up thing. I was this very confident woman in my thirties, very independent. And I just turned into somebody that I wasn't and he kept lying on, lying to me. And then he cheated on me. I was, and I was never cheated on before, you know, and I woke up to him OGing in the bed next to me. He really couldn't lie to me anymore. It was right there. He couldn't trick me. And in the beginning, he'd open the doors for me, walk on the outside of the sidewalk, pay for dinner, just all of that. And then he just switched on me. And you know, the moment I turned into somebody that I realized that I wasn't is he, I don't think he's used to somebody like me. I'm pretty feisty. 
And I got up and went to leave. I'm like, whatever this. And he punched a hole in the wall and was like, sit your ass down. And I sat down. That's not me at all. Like, that's not me. You know, I went from a scrappy person and then, you know, I turned into this person. But Did you question yourself right away when you actually sat down? Like, wait, why am I sitting? It was, I, it was, it was the weirdest thing. I got very quiet in my mind. I... It was just, I think, a trauma response. I was, like, you didn't know what was going to happen next either. Yeah, it was it was very interesting. Anyway, fast forward, I woke up to him being in the bed next to me, and he couldn't lie to me anymore, and I left. And it was very hard because there's the trauma bond. There's all kinds of things, a narcissist. But luckily, I did leave because I found out a year later he stabbed somebody to death in the neck with a screwdriver. And he's in Florida, which is a sunshine state, so he's in jail for the rest of his life. But, you know, he was with, with a, another girlfriend. I know he manipulated the heck out of her. It's just, that scared the shit out of me. Like, not alone that, but that I was like, whoa. And right then and there, I'm like, I thought I was changing my behavior pattern. So I took four years because that that's, that that ain't no joke. No, that stuff is that's, not a joke. that's not. I mean. Yeah, it's. When you, when, you, when you question yourself in addiction, it's one thing because then you can, like, find ways to yeah. justify, like, what happened. with uh, this. Yeah. I was a little drunk, I, uh, you know, but when you're sober, you really, like, take a hard look at yourself. Like, why did I do that behavior yeah. in sobriety when I learned to yeah. look out for that? Yeah, and, you know, that was a terrifying moment for me. And then it really took it home. I'm like, I am never treating myself like this again. And I haven't, I've been so, or I've been single for, like I said, four and a half years. And I'm the happiest I've ever been, honestly. Like, I think a lot of people don't take time to look at themselves and they hop from relationship to relationship. But then you just end up projecting all of your old stuff onto the new one and yeah. not even dealing with it, you know. So I want to change my pattern because there's still this attraction to emotionally unavailable men, which is interesting. I'm like, it's still there for Pete's sake. And then I just wait longer, you know? Yeah. But I think it's really officially breaking. Like, there was a moment that I had where somebody was contacting me. I'm like, here's my old behavior pattern. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to say no, you know? So. I think talking yeah. about it probably helps you, too. Just even being honest with yourself, like, that's even a thing. Like, almost yeah. like our addictions, we talk about them so that they're right there in front of us so that yeah. we kind of avoid it. But I think the more you talk about, you know, your it's the same thing. It's like doing it 12 steps, yeah. but you just change the word alcohol with emotional development. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yes. do a 12 step on that. You know, I, I helped I helped a sponsee get over a girlfriend by replacing alcohol with her name. Yeah. And we went through the steps. It's, it's the 12 steps are applicable to so many different things. I use yeah. them all the time. I did, however, get... So, okay, yeah, that'll lead to where it is. Okay, so all that, here I am today, pretty much. Is that good? Yeah, okay. here we are. Okay. Yeah, now okay. we're here. here. We okay. Now we're here. Now it's four years later. You're still single. Yeah. You're in bloom. Now I'm in bloom. We just start... I just started this, and then you reached out and came over yeah, the other day. Yeah, we, we are. Yeah. And, you know, I was in AA for a while. It just got to a point where it wasn't working for me, and I ended up just hating it not that I'm not appreciative of it it was just and I realized I was trying to stay sober on a program that I didn't like anymore I still use it it's just I needed new things and I'm constantly one of those people that are learning I'm listening to I don't know how many books reading two books like it's just I like to that's what I like to do and I think a piece of it is I work on the cognitive behavior therapy. I've been in therapy since I was 11, and there is a huge psychological component, and I think it needs to be addressed in sobriety and sometimes that it's, it's not addressed in AA. I mean, they're okay with that, but I'm not trying to bash AA. What I'm saying is... I oh, no, neither am I. It I saved my life when I needed it, yes. but now it's not what I need in my recovery. I need something yes. more open and more accepting in my recovery. Yes. AA wasn't really accepting. They were in California. They were very accepting of my cannabis use. You know, yeah. I have a medical card. I went to a rehab called High Sobriety in L.A. that taught me how to microdose and taught me how to use cannabis in a responsible way. My sponsor yeah. knew I was using it, and he just said, as long as you keep it in control and it never affects us, I shouldn't be able to ever tell that you're on it. And I said, deal. And I've always stuck to that, you know. And I, I, I got back to Pennsylvania, and they were like, hey, we can't have you talk about cannabis in a positive way it could give people bad ideas or 
give them wrong ideas. Not everybody's. I'm like, well, that's part of my program. I'm not going to lie and be dishonest. So it didn't work for me anymore. But the steps still do. I still use. I do a fourth step every time I catch a resentment. Yeah. You know, I have to. I do it in my head. I don't have to write it down every time. If I'm driving and I catch a resentment, I'll write. I'll just do it in my head. I'll be like, all right, what's my part in it? Why am I upset? Because once I can find my part in any resentment, I feel better. I just accepted it without even realizing yeah. it. And as you know, once you accept anything, it's a lot easier to understand. Yes, yeah. So I started looking into different recovery modalities. And since with the COVID, like a lot of Zooms came out, Zoom meetings came out, and I just love them. When I discovered SMART, I went back into treatment for my eating disorder just recently. And the girl, she's a girl, she's like a 20 something. They're so young, like going into the treatment program. <laughs> yeah. Because they're just I... trying to do their dues to get mm-hmm. their own private practice. And she, I'm like, oh my God, girl, you look like 12. But like, anyway, she uh, helped me with, uh, she was a drug and alcohol counselor. She's like, oh my God, there's so many other ways. I didn't even like think about it. And then, because I, I came home and my brother was there, I'm like, I can't do these meetings anymore. Like, I, I, He's dumb. I, you know, I was becoming resentful, and that's not good. I was barely going to meetings because I would have, and I'm a bouncy thing. Like I need to move. I'm super like exercise. You gotta like do things. So I'd have to work out before I could even sit there for an hour because I would just the only thing I would think of is I want to go, I want to go, I want to go. So these Zoom meetings, I discovered Smart Recovery, which it's fantastic, and I can ride my bike. I literally ride my bike and walk when I listen to them, yeah. and then I just stop, chime in, and then keep going again. Yep. And it's amazing. It's That's actually helped me with my eating disorder a lot, and I like how it's so open. You don't have to have a higher power. I do. I have a huge spiritual practice, but I like that. I don't have to talk about it with people. That it's a tool, and I don't have to hear about their stuff. I know yeah. it's like sometimes they're just throwing to hear about it. You want to hear my higher power? It's right there. Yeah, <laughs> Mr. Yeah, Bill Murray. Mr. Bill Murray. Yeah, and so there's there's all because it's self management. There's so many different opinions and views. I'm like, wow, I didn't think of that. And it's cognitive behavioral therapy based, and just the urges. Like it's like urges usually go away within 15 minutes. I didn't know that. That was yeah. really really helpful to me with with my eating disorder. You just told me that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> wow, you know, I didn't even think about that. And then there's I doing women for sobriety which is amazing it's all about women's empowerment because a lot of times AA like just breaks you down and constantly talking character defects alcoholic I'm like when you introduce yourself in women for sobriety it's my name's Jade and I'm a competent woman in sobriety isn't that amazing yes like I, I can't even say it right now at the moment I'm like hey I'm Jade like because I'm just yeah. used to it but it talks about like gaining self-esteem it's a, it's a really great program it's, I'm sure it's an empowering thing just to even say out loud it you is. know it's, saying anything out loud can yeah, be empowering like like the their steps are 13 statements or whatever so I do that and then there's unity meetings where they just bring up a topic and then you just share on it so those are my favorite the topic yes. discussions and you just go around those are my that's what you know I'm pretty much doing here as you can tell already is a, just throw out a topic let's talk about it yeah you know those, those are fun for me yeah and you know and then here came and it just like came right when I'm changing my sobriety and since I started these new, new programs sometimes I go to two meetings a day like, I have been to more meetings in the past two months than I've had in a year with AA. Yeah. I'm not even joking. Like, I am so much happier. And also, like, the thing you were talking about, cannabis solving, I know we were talking about it yesterday, but since we're podcasting. Um, yeah, I started smoking Delta 8. I was really scared at first. I was getting very horrible anxiety. I couldn't sleep. I would wake up with panic attacks, like fear of death, panic attacks, just doomsday crap. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know? And... I started with hemp flower, which, you know, it's from hemp. It's, it, it's from it, hemp, and it, it has uh, very, very low THC. It's under 2.5%. It yes. Federally, it cannot be above 25 It's part of the Farmers Act law of 2018 yes. <clears throat> when hemp and CBD became legalized yeah. again. But it's different still. Like, it, you'll get the effects, but not the full effect, which is perfect for someone like you because of just getting back into something that is a very beneficial plant yes. if used correctly. And I'm sure a lot of your fears were like, oh my God, am I out of AA now? Are they going to kick me out? Am I That's not sober? Exactly what it was. There was 
guilt. I felt a lot of shame. I didn't want to go back there. AA is good at making you feel those things, even without putting them on you. you. And like, you know, when I when I first did it, and I just smoked one hit of it. Well, first I started. Oh yeah, I started with hemp flower, and when I was in crisis situations, sometimes I get suicidal because I do. I still do have all those disorders. And your mom just passed away. Yeah, they're just hope. I'm just coping with them better. And then I usually have to call a crisis worker. But this, I tried this, and it just stopped my thoughts, like, instantly. Everything slowed down. Not to the point as an escapism to avoid it, but everything slowed down. I cried, but I was able to look at each topic individually. I journaled for, like, a half an hour. And then, because suicidal ideation it comes from all these different things it's just so much sometimes racing thoughts and it slowed them down so i could look at them separately so then i heard about delta a and somebody was smoking it like one of my friends and they're just sitting there talking about the weather just super you know calm and relaxed and then i went to a head shop here in bloom and the guy was working and he was on it right then he's like oh yeah i can go to work and everything i'm like okay this is great so I took one hit, and I, I can't do sativa, I found out. This was a hybrid. I can't even do that. But uh, I was like, I am high. And I, like, panicked because in AA, and I'm like, well, screw it now. Like, I lost my sobriety. So I took a bunch of hits, but it didn't work out too well. I was on the floor. My heart rate increased a lot. Like, I felt dizzy and yeah. sick. But then I was like, what if I just did this, like, at night, like, two hits with the proper dosage? Because before, back in the day, like, you got whatever you got on the street. Exactly. Now you can really, like, pick and choose a lot better. And I have been, like, so, so far, so good. People are watching me like a hawk. But I take two hits at night, and I tell myself every time, I'm like, I love this. I am the most peaceful I have ever been in my life when I smoke this. I am so calm. I don't want to watch TV. I just want to introspect. I've had so many epiphanies. I can't even like express myself. It's just about my job. Yesterday I had one about, you know, dealing with different urges with things that my father is saying that are triggering me that I didn't notice affected me so much. I fixed a relationship because I had an epiphany about that. Like it is incredible what it's doing for me to be able to meditate, to have guidance. I, I play the drums. I listen to Pink Floyd. It's freaking awesome. <laughs> Pink Floyd's amazing. I just listened to Fleetwood Mac and was drumming to Tusk. I got like a hand drum and I'm like drumming to it. <laughs> like just, you know, I'm, I'm calm. And since I started these programs and had all these epiphanies, the people that were in my life were negative. They're just falling away. Like, I used to be friends with people pleasers, but I eat them alive. We do not feed each other very well. Yeah. I'm like, well, what can I get out of this yeah. person? Even if I subconsciously do it now, it's still, like, it. it's easy to get them to do what you want, and I don't want to be that person. I haven't, I don't want to act like that. I need yeah. somebody that's... We manipulated people in our addictive days. We don't need to do it in sobriety yes, either. <laughs> I don't want to do that. And I realize on a subconscious level, it's like a piece. But then I lose my patience because I'm like, oh, my God, we just say what you want and you need. Yeah. Like, so it, it just wasn't working for me. So that's falling away, which isn't a bad thing because all these new people that are very straightforward, very direct, very cognizant of emotions are coming into my life. With all these new meetings, like I found a drive for recovery again, I'm so I'm so happy. I am the happiest I've ever been in my life, just with the ability to have reprieve in the evening, number one, because I still do get anxiety, and to just have a break at night. And I literally, I cannot smoke any more than that because I get dizzy, lightheaded, and I am not okay. So Did you look into the one-hitter thing that I told oh, you about? Oh, not, no, not okay. yet. I just, I You're only like five smoke. bucks. Yeah. Guys, I'm talking like I smoke too many chocolate chips at night like that's how big the little like the delta and that's what the one hitter is perfect for that's all you're gonna fit in there is a little bit and then you and you got to get rid of it because it's already used up so it's perfect you know exactly it doesn't go through a hole and into your mouth like a bowl you know how like if you're trying to smoke a bowl with a little bit of nub usually it shoots through and we call them scooby snacks (laughs) and all of a sudden you're swallowing the nub that you just lit up yeah. So one hitter is definitely going to be the best option because then you can know, all right, I get two pools from this, put it away, and I'm going to feel great. Yeah. I'm I just glad that. we started this as soon as basically you're starting a new program. I am. And I am. it just it worked out because we're so accepting of people yes. that, like, it's, hey, let's talk about it. Let's figure this out. Like, I don't know if this is divine 
intervention, but shit is just falling into place very quickly now, and it's it's amazing. And I had some epiphanies about like this work and what I want to do, and maybe facilitating different trainings for smart, like that sort of thing. I have to be in it for a while, mm-hmm. but it it changed my life. I'm very very content now, for the most part. Every once in a while, my my mental health like rears this ugly head like oh yeah i have this big huge disorder (laughs) like i forgot you know so i still have to be mindful and careful but to be able to go to so many programs to be connected with so many people that i don't feel ostracized like i still get scared like oh my god because i'm smoking this i'm gonna start doing other things and i like panic but i'm trying to like calm myself down and then i notice like i have different urges and thoughts but I've always had them I thought that I was just having them like oh since I'm doing this I'm like no I've always had these urges I just never realized it. yes smell the, like gargling with mouthwash it's so weird I'm like man I could drink this and I had a thought when I smoked filthy I was like oh my god it's because of this I'm like no nah, man I've thought this like a hundred times yeah. that's why I don't keep it in my house yeah. like you know what I mean but my dentist is like yo you need this stuff <laughs> for your gums but it's, uh, Can I give you some peace of mind? Sure, yeah. Um, my sober date is April 25th, 2018. <clears throat> I did drink off and on from May 25th, 2019 yeah. till February 28th of 2020. Yeah. My news, my alcohol sober date is 2-29-2020. Yeah. Um, but when anyone asks me, my sober date is 4-25-2018 because that is the day that my life stopped being unmanageable. Yeah. When I did drink here and there in that nine-month span, it was like at night, at home, not drinking and driving, not doing reckless stuff, just yeah. pouring a Jack and Coke and watching a movie with a bull, you know? Yeah. And I, the only reason I stopped again was because I woke up hungover and I was like, I don't, I, I'm just going to, I, I want to, we were about to start this up before COVID hit. So I was like, all right, let's just quit drinking. Then this way we're sober for starting this. Yeah. And then COVID hit two weeks later. I was like, well, now we're going to really stop drinking. Yeah. So, because we both quit in the same day. But still, when people ask me, my sober date is 425. No one can tell me what my sober date is. It's mine. Yeah. You know, it's that date to me means a lot. And I'm not going to change it because of a few drinks. Because my life didn't just tail, tail spin out. I didn't need to go back to rehab. Yeah. I didn't need to hit meetings to talk about it. I, I just needed to get my head straight again. Like, all right, I'm done with that again. You know, because, like, I... My life didn't tailspin. I'm not going to change my date. I didn't go to rehab again. I didn't, like, have to go get a newcomer chip. I wasn't, like, hit rock bottom. It was just a thing that I didn't want in my life anymore, so I cut it out again. Yeah. And so my sober date, to me, is still 4-25-2018, no matter what somebody says. I'm not trying to collect chips. I'm not even giving out chips. I have plenty to give out. You already saw my little bucket. Yeah. I have plenty of old chips to give out. People want them, but I'm not here to... I think there's a stigma on dates... And I think there's a stigma on chips and times of, like, pressure that people don't talk about. Like, I knew people mm-hmm. that were, were relapsing in their first 60 days because everyone knew their sober date. And they were freaking out knowing that I'm supposed to get a 60-day chip. Yeah. And they're in a sober living where they can just, like, go in and out and do some crazy stuff. And we're in L.A. You can find drugs easy to, as a meeting. Um, so I knew plenty of people that relapsed in their first 90 days a couple times from my rehab because of the pressure of everyone knowing their sober date and they would freak out over it. Yeah. So, yeah. Sober date is something because I, I still like, I'm trying to like battle with it because to me I'm sober, but yeah. to other people I am not. So it's hard to... But there's other people. They're, those are their projections of themselves. Usually, like yeah. I won't, I won't wear your projections anymore. Like yeah. if you're telling me I'm not sober, that's you're yeah. upset that I can use cannabis responsibly and you can't, and you're upset about it and you're gonna come at me for it. And a lot of people don't understand it sometimes. Like I don't smoke weed personally because I still am like, oh my god, I'd probably be out of control with it. So I do just the Delta Eight. The Delta Eight. Yeah. And I'm not like condoning. I'm sure you don't either. I like um moderation that's not what i'm saying i'm saying like i do a program that works for me i don't personally drink because i'm an a-hole i don't want to talk about myself when i drink it's not good it doesn't benefit me the delta a benefits me so profoundly i have 100 benefit from it 
Besides waking up a little groggy in the morning, that's it. But a lot less groggy than trazodone or Seroquel will give you. Yeah, and, you know, I was going to take an SSRI, but I'm like, to help with my anxiety, but I sleep so much on them. There's one that I wanted to try that wasn't on the list of, hey, we recommend not taking this on that gene site test. And I was like, you know what, I'm very content, you know, yeah. with this right now, so I just hoping that it maintains and I want to be able to maintain that and so all the other stuff like pills or anything like that I don't want to take those because they don't benefit me any but the only thing that Delta 8 has done is allow me to introspect give me several epiphanies make Pink Floyd awesome again (laughs) you know so so far it's been helping me a lot I'm actually doing an ayahuasca retreat that's awesome in September where and Peru in the middle of the rainforest. You gotta do it. If you're gonna do it, you gotta do it. You're gonna do it. You gotta do it. I was gonna say, you're like, where? Like, where are you gonna go? Somewhere around here? I'm so glad you said Peru. That's awesome. I'm going. I have to get all these like shots and stuff. Yeah, I'm sure. A lot of the shots I need, the stuff isn't is fairly prevalent down there. You have to come back. You have to come back and sit down with me to tell me all about. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, I don't want to survive an ayahuasca in a retreat to just go out because of yellow fever. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So I'm just going to get the vaccines even though... Just it, in case, yeah. Yeah, just in case. But, you know, isn't, yeah. But I'm, I'm just glad that you're here and we're yeah, here for you and you're yeah. here for us because you ran a cool meeting the other night with meditation. Yeah. So, like, yeah. you know, that's why we started this is to bring people into the community that were already out there that wanted a new community. Yes. So I'm so glad you've been reaching yeah. out and you came out and yeah. came back, like... Um, the community's been awesome so far, so I just hope that it continues. But yeah. thanks for sitting down with me.